Right. Heavenly Father, grateful again for, uh, to them and their heart uh, for the call in their lives uh, to bring education and to bring uh, a witness uh, to the world of your love for the world in Jesus. And uh, thankful, too, for Todd's uh, ability to find some humor in the midst of all of this and um, the certainty with which he speaks about your faithfulness uh, and how you will work through them and the parents and the students uh, to rebuild uh, this organization and to continue to make it an important part of so many people's lives. And so just give them wisdom, give them clarity, certainly surround them with people of peace who can who can expedite uh, this whole uh, effort. Uh, Lord, we certainly pray for a favorable insurance decision. Um, may you work through that as well, and may you continue to work through the church, whether in small or large donations, um, to help them know that uh, they are loved and uh, that they are supported in uh, their efforts. So we commend them to you and just continue to commend the work that you've called them to uh, in Dallas and uh, celebrate uh, them and the gifts that you've given to them, all in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to release the kids for kids' praise. Miss Haley's back there. We're going to turn to the Word uh, for us today in, in terms of it being All Saints Sunday as well. I think, uh, I think perhaps given what uh, the school has experienced and, and what we experience in life, hopefully this, this message will be a, a place of encouragement for you. But let me, let me go ahead and pray again, okay? Father, it's good to spend time in prayer. It slows the heartbeat down. The breathing slows. And by your Spirit, you bring focus to our minds, to our hearts. And as we gather on the hillside, so to speak, with the disciples and listen to Jesus teach, we pray that those same hearts and minds, Lord, that you're calming and focusing right now, would be attentive to what you would have to say to us this day. Speak into our lives, both as a church, corporately, but also individually, so that we can take these words of Jesus, and by that same Spirit that's brought us here today, respond to those words of Jesus, and continue to live uh, for this world, as Jesus calls us to. It's in his name, it's in his power, it's in his grace and mercy that we ask all of this. And all God's people said, say, amen, say, said, all right, all right. All right, here's the text. A text which I believe is going to be familiar to you. All right, let me read it and then we'll talk a little bit about that. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad then, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way 
that they're persecuting you, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, this is the text for today's message. Now, this text is commonly called the Beatitudes, all right, the Beatitudes. Um, Even for people who did not grow up in the church, the title of the Beatitudes is familiar, all right? And I think even as familiar is chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of Matthew, which, are called, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, all right, the Sermon on the Mount. So we have the, Be- the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, and it's probably the best known of Jesus's uh, teaching sessions, classroom settings, right? Uh, the opportunity that he takes to instruct those who gather around him. Now, like any good teacher, though, right, like Todd or Rachel or Mike, when they, when they teach, their lessons are meant to be more than just information, right? Good teachers teach for transformation. Good teachers teach for, for response, right? Jesus doesn't want people just simply sitting and passively listening to what he has to say and then going back home and, and nothing occurring within their heart and mind or in behavior, right? Um, his teaching is for us not only truth, but it's also motivation, uh, as the people of God. Now, as I said earlier to the first service, the irony is that you're just sitting here passively listening to me today, right? Um, but uh, we're praying that the Spirit uh, uh, gets beyond uh, my deficiencies and works in your life, in my life as well. Anyway, but what I want to do is I want to look at this section of Scripture from Matthew 5 and specifically just the first couple of Beatitudes that we have in the text, okay? Uh, not just because we, we don't have time to go through them all. I mean, we don't have time to go through them all. Uh, but if you grasp the first beatitude, if you grasp the first beatitude, then the others make sense. The first beatitude that's going to be verse 3 is like the doorway, like the, the gateway. It's the foundation for all the others that follow. Okay. All right. So what's the context then? Well, on this mountainside, we've got Jesus, right? We've got the end-time Messiah, the true son of David, and the, the saving son of God surrounded by crowds, okay? With power and with mercy, he, he has started his ministry on their behalf. He's preaching, he, he's teaching, he's healing, and he's giving lessons like this for them and for you and me. Um, and as I said earlier, this lesson, the Beatitudes, is the doorway that the hearer will pass through uh, in order to understand the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to start with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So who are the poor in spirit? The poor in spirit are you, and the poor in spirit are me. The poor in spirit is anyone around the world and across the ages those who are hearing and receiving the good news of Jesus, those who are receiving the forgiveness of sins and the reality of abundant life in Him because of His person and His work. The poor in spirit are the spiritually poor. Think about it this way. All along Jesus' ministry, if you think about the narrative of His life, He is ministering to those who are in objective need, all right, objective need. What do I mean by that? Well, sickness, right, Uh, blindness, lameness, leprosy, other diseases, right, Uh, 
It's easy for those with challenges, objective challenges like that, to know that they have a need, to recognize um, that something is not right. But not so necessarily with those who have a spiritual need, right? Not necessarily so with spirituality and faith and belief. That one is not always so obvious. That's not one people are willing to readily admit to. For example, people say, well, I'm a good person. I don't need that. Or um, I'm not like that person, right? I'm not as bad as them or I haven't done anything wrong. These excuses and others, our humanity comes up uh, and blinds us from admitting our need that we have uh, for uh, someone to rescue us, right? It simply reminds us of how challenging it is to get people to believe that they are objectively, objectively, spiritually destitute, if you will, and without resource. You know, I was listening to a podcast, um, I guess it was was a week or two ago, but it was simply talking about how hard it is to minister to millennials, all right? Um, And I think in some sense, the the podcast was sort of, there were some general strokes or or, uh, um, generalities uh, that the, the broadcaster was using in order to make a point. But I did see something similar in the Washington Post this past week, too, about the millennials and how they're, how they're leaving the church. Uh, but the point of the podcast was this idea that here's a generation that's grown up all their life, right, uh, being told uh, that, that you're special, right, and you're going to get a trophy just for showing up. Now, again, I think this is somewhat of an exaggeration, all right? I know it is. Um, but they went on to say that the church is having a hard time reaching that generation because to talk about sin, to have them hold a, a mirror up to themselves and admit they're sinful and broken and, and, and in need of a Savior is not something that that generation connects with. The idea being that if you're told uh, you're special and you're a superstar and there's nothing wrong with you all your life, well, when someone actually challenges that, um, uh, there's not an acceptance of that. Now, again, all due respect to millennials, I'm not picking on them. It's just what happens to be the, uh, the example the, the host was using. But it asks this question, how do we reach a generation? If this is true, if this is true, how do we reach a generation that doesn't think it's objectively, spiritually poor? That's what I'm asking. How do you reach any people, right, if they don't think they're objectively, spiritually poor? right? Because this problem, it's across the ages. This problem is around the world. It just so happens that I think this issue is simply amplified because we've got technology and 24-7 we're connected, right? And it's always before us. So somehow we're more aware of it. But here's the point. This is why Jesus, he's saying, blessed are those who receive the good news. Blessed are those who recognize that I have spiritual need, which can only be met by me. Like lost sheep, all right? Uh, like sinners called and forgiven, Jesus' opening blessing embraces all of fallen humanity and proclaims that those who receive him, those who receive what he offers, also receive the reign of heaven, right? Here and now. Not just somewhere out there after we we die, but here and now as the people of God. 
And what are, what are some of the ways that we experience the reign of heaven as the people of God? Well, think about it. Forgiveness, baptism, uh, the very presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, this table of grace and belonging uh, behind me. Um, uh, these are reminders to you and me in visible ways uh, that the reality of God's kingdom and presence is here among us as the people of God. And so this becomes then, for the spiritually poor, good news. And Jesus can say to you and to me uh, that though we are still sinful and live in sin, if you will, uh, we are blessed. So that's the doorway. Spiritual poverty addressed by the Savior, the foundation to the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. All right, so those are the pupils, right? That's you and me. What about the hearer? What about the teacher? What are Jesus' credentials, right, for our life of faith? Well, I think another important aspect for interpreting the Beatitudes, for continuing to read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, is who he is and why it's important to listen to him. And Matthew, as a, as a gospel writer, does a, a beautiful job of grounding us in the Old Testament promises of the servant who is to come, the Son of God, sending uh, or speaking as the servant of God. This is Isaiah 61. Mike's going to put it up on the screen. <clears throat> this text is also a text that Jesus will read in Luke chapter 4 when he is teaching at a synagogue in Capernaum. But it's a perfect anchor for us as it reminds us of who Christ is. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the opening of the prison to those who are bound, or in some translation, open the eyes of the blind. And so you can see the connection then between this Old Testament verse and, and the Beatitudes, right? This is prophecy fulfilled, promises realized. This is God doing what God said he would do for his creation, declaring that anyone may believe uh, and claim for themselves what he offers in Jesus. And so it's in this context then with the Son of God as the servant of God and with the objective recognition by those who were listening to Jesus that day, including you and me, that the need is met. The need is met in Jesus and only Jesus, and now then the rest of the Beatitudes make sense or, or are understood in our life of faith. So let's say this week you're highly motivated. You're going to go home and you're going to read the Beatitudes and perhaps even read the whole Sermon on the Mount for your, for your devotions. Um, let me illustrate, though, for you by what I mean. So we're going to put up verses 4 through 6. Again, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. All right, so these three in particular are three uh, which signify or give notice to something that is missing in the life of these people. All right, so for those who mourn, it's joy that is missing or comfort. Uh, meekness, all right, what is missing is influence and, and positions of power. In uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, well, they, they lack, they want to be filled, they want to see justice done, uh, righteousness come. 
So assuming those who are listening have come to this awareness, right? Verse 3. And moving now to this group who mourn, who find themselves empty, right? Um, How do we address this? Well, it's in the teaching that Jesus begins to go back and forth in his language, right? In his tenses, T-E-N-S-E-S, his tenses, as in the present tense and the future tense, all right? They are and they will be, all right? Do you hear that in his words? Blessed are those who are mourning right now, for they will be comforted, right? They are, but they will be, all right? Uh, the people who, so the people who are mourning will be comforted. The people who are stepped upon will rule. Uh, the thirst will be quenched. Present, future, present, future. The now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. We as the people of God live in the now. That is the things already completed by God in our life as the people of God. And yet we still hope and yet we still wait. And yet we still long for that final completion. So think about it this way. Today, All Saints Sunday, right? A day in the life of the church when we remember those who've gone on to be with the Lord in the, the, the previous year. However, many of you have loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord long before this, right? And so at your personal loss, when they passed away, you grieved because you recognized uh, that separation that you were experiencing. But yet, as a Christian, you also rejoiced. You rejoiced because your loved one, though you were separated from them, your loved one was now with Jesus. Your loved one had now received the the, the fulfillment of God's promise to them. They knew no more pain. They, They, you know, whatever it was they were suffering was gone. Things like that. And so that's the tension we as the people of God live in. But that's the tension that we as the people of God are promised will be handled by Jesus. You know, I talk a little bit more about the now and the not yet and the present and the future in my blog post from this week. Don't forget the staff publishes a, a different blog every week online. But if you go back to the text in terms of the, um, uh, in terms of the Beatitude, And the reign of heaven in Jesus, it belongs to us. It belongs to us as the people of God, right? It's something that we know now, and and yet it's something we still are waiting to experience to be fulfilled. And so you can work your way through those beatitudes, the promise of final comfort, final inheritance, the final filling with God's righteousness and mercy, and blessedness which comes on that day. And so the challenge for you and me then in the meantime, right, is to learn to live in a way that though we can expect Christ's presence with us, there will be times when which sin and brokenness of the world will, will bring about mourning into our life. Times when we will feel like we've been marginalized or no one's noticing us or looking at us. Times in our life when we do hunger to see justice and righteousness done in the world around us in the community in which we live. But this is how Paul says, this is how we're called to handle it. 
This Romans chapter 8, verses 24 through 25. Paul says, we were saved in hope, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait eagerly for it through endurance. We were saved in hope, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait eagerly for it through endurance. So what we do not see, that's the not yet, but we were saved, that's the now, and we endure in eagerness for it. So there's this tension between the present blessing and the joy on one hand and then the others to come. So think about your life. You can think about the life of the church too, particularly our congregation. Or even reminds me of DL, the now and the not yet. They know now where they are, but yet will, what will. You look for where the beatitude is fulfilled in your life, but also look for where it's not. You know, where in life do you experience joy, but also where is sorrow its companion? Where can we rejoice in what we have in Christ Jesus, but where do we long for for the fulfillment of all things? We basically feel like we live, right, with one foot firmly planted in the now and one foot firmly planted in the not yet. But so certain and strong is the promised final comfort. So certain and, and strong is that promise to you and me that we live in light of that promise. We live in light of the work of Jesus for us. And so it influences how we think. It influences how we behave. It changes how we view even our present circumstances. So as his disciples, we live now, but we live now in light of what is to come. So where are you living in light of now and not yet? I can't answer that for you. You've got to answer it on your own. Where is a beatitude fulfilled in your life, but yet also where are you eagerly waiting for completion? As I said earlier, where is their joy as an example? Where is their joy, but where do you find sorrow as a companion? The lessons of God for the people of God, the now and the not yet, fulfilled in Christ and being lived out in our lives as we share the good news with the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.